you are receiving this transmission, you are reclaiming the faith with Phil Baker on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. Welcome to episode 33 of Reclaiming the Faith, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. I'm your host, Phil Baker. Now, let's dig into history. Hey guys, thanks so much for taking time to listen to Reclaiming the Faith. Thank you for praying for me and my family and my podcasting partners, BDK and Justin Fall of the Fourth Watch Radio Network. We appreciate your prayers so, so much. Please don't stop that. Please keep it up, guys. Y'all are awesome. Y'all are such a blessing. Well, have you ever been told that the Gospels don't teach that Jesus is God? In episode 33, I begin a four-part interview with my returning guest, Dan Enright, where we demonstrate how all four Gospel writers clearly teach that Jesus is God. This interview will not only strengthen your faith, but will also serve as a tremendous evangelistic tool in spreading the Gospel. Well, guys, let me give you an update real quick on uh, my album. Guys, y'all helped me uh, raise all the money I needed for uh, the production of this EP, guys. Thank y'all so much for that. Uh, And just to let you know where we are, we've got everything recorded except for keyboard parts and a couple of female background parts. So uh, yeah, it's going so well. Hopefully we'll be done with that soon. And then we go to mixing, mastering, and then pressing the album, looking at like an early winter release. So stay tuned for that. Uh, If you contributed to the GoFundMe campaign, you'll get that extra five song demo, acoustic demo, uh, at the same time that I release the album. So be on the lookout for that. Well, if you're blessed by this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave an honest review on my iTunes channel, Reclaiming the Faith. And also, if you have any questions, please feel free to contact me at my website, reclaimingthefaith.podbean.com, or email me at emailphilsbaker at gmail.com. Also, my wife just released a podcast that I really want to encourage you to check out. This podcast is called The Faithful Podcast, and you can find her at faithfulpodcast.podbean.com, and it should be on iTunes as well, uh, The Faithful Podcast, The Faithful Podcast with Stephanie Baker. It is such such an encouraging uh, podcast, so be on the lookout for that. In 2016, I wrote a book called New Wineskins and the Simple Words of Christ. You can find this book on Amazon, and if it's a blessing to you, please leave an honest review there. And as I said earlier, I'm blessed to be a part of Justin Fall's Fourth Watch Radio Network, along with BDK of Omega Frequency, who I do a monthly Q&A show with called Ready with an Answer. You can contact BDK at omegafrequency.com, and you can send questions for that Q&A show there. In addition to our own channels, you can find each of our podcasts at fourthwatchradio.com or on the Fourth Watch Radio podcast. And finally, the early Christian quotes I use can be found on the CD-ROM version of the Anti-Nicene Fathers, and you can purchase your copy of that for a mere $5 on the Scroll Publishing website. Please, please go get, go get that CD-ROM version. You will not regret it. 
All right. Well, let's get into my four-part interview with Dan Enright on Jesus Unveiled in the Gospels. All right. Well, Dan Enright, thank you so much for coming back on Reclaiming the Faith, dude. This is such an honor to have you as our guest again. Hey, Phil. Thanks. Always glad to be here. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And guys, uh, y'all may not know this, but Dan is actually playing drums on the EP that I've got coming up, and he did a phenomenal job. So as you're grooving in the car to these songs in the next few months, just remember to you know say a prayer for Dan and thank God for him because he, he did an amazing job. All right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we're going to get into this aspect of how Jesus is unveiled as God in the Gospels. And uh, I'm sure you have heard this, Dan, like I have, whether it be from Jehovah's Witnesses or atheists or agnostics, um, the, the belief that the gospel writers don't teach that Jesus is God. Mm, right. um, yeah. And so we're here to, to counter that myth. And uh, have you, so do you have like a time where, where you've heard that or seen that in writing? Sure. Um, I would say in all other world religions, even the pseudo-Christian religions, the, mm. the one that you mentioned, yeah. uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, it all comes down to the person and nature of Christ in their theology. So it's, it's widespread among all the world religions, mm. um, Christianity being the, the one that makes the uh, declaration, if you will, that uh, Jesus Christ is divine. Mm. But even using our source for that, the Bible, there are people who say that the gospel writers and even beyond that don't support the position that that Jesus is divine. Yeah. In fact, a, uh, a man named Bart Ehrman, yeah. your listeners may be familiar with him, he came out with a book in 2009 entitled Jesus Interrupted, Revealing the Hidden contradictions in the Bible and why we don't know about them. And in that book, this is what he wrote. He said, the idea that Jesus was divine was a later Christian invention, one found among our gospels only in John. Mm. And what critical scholars would follow that with is that this idea of Jesus' divinity was a, a later construction, mm. maybe in a, Hel a Hellenistic idea yeah. that made its way into the gospel of of only John huh. and and nowhere else. So the idea that that Jesus isn't presented as divine in the synoptics holds sway with with these folks, these scholars. Uh, but it, it's only John has that affirmation, and of course, it's a later invention. Yeah, you know, that's I've heard it, people say that um, at the Council of Nicaea that they decided to put into the Gospels. Uh, that Jesus is divine, that Jesus is God. And that's mm. just silly, like that, it, that people didn't believe that before Nicaea, you know? Right. And it, like Ignatius in 105, this is a bishop, a uh, well-respected bishop of Antioch. And he was a disciple of the apostle John. He wrote to the Tralian Christians in 105, 
continue in intimate union with Jesus Christ, our God. Like he just spells it mm. out. And I mean, it's it's chock, I mean, it's jam-packed in the Christ, early Christian writings, the anti-Nicene writings that Jesus is one with God. And sure. Yeah. And but but we're not here today to really talk about the early Christian writings. We're gonna go like earlier. I can't than that. believe you said that, Phil. I, I know. Like <laughs> normally we would do that here on reclaiming the faith, but today I just really want to go right to the scriptures. Yeah. And show how the gospel writers said in their way, not in an American way, not in a 21st century way, but in a first century way, how they said uh, that Jesus is God in a way that their audience would have known immediately. They would have known immediately the claims that the Christians are saying. Yeah. And I like so, the way you, you put that because in, in the gospels, in the synoptics that we'll, we'll start with, Matthew, mm. Mark, and Luke— they each have their own unique way of presenting that. Right. Um, it's it's very different from the style that John uses. Right. Uh, so what we'll find in Matthew is unique to Matthew. What we'll find in Mark is unique to Mark, mm-hmm. and and so on with with Luke. But we we often hear this this term high Christology, mm-hmm. and we always think of the Gospel of John uh, that. Um, that has this high Christology in it, yeah. where the synoptics would more be categorized as having a low Christology. But <laughs> which is ridiculous. <laughs> well, it it, it is. Um, but what we're going to hopefully share with our listeners and discover today is that the idea of Christ's divinity is literally woven throughout the synoptics. Mm-hmm. It's unmistakable. Right. So. With that, we can we can start with the Gospel of Matthew, and yeah. we'll work through just just a couple of passages that, yeah. that I have in mind, and and I think you have some in in mind as well. Yeah, and this is just kind of surface level too, right? It, it like, is because we could spend like a full episode on or, or like four parts on Matthew. We could do four parts on Mark, and so on. But we're just going to do one part, thirty minutes for each yes. each Gospel. Yes, and another thing is is sometimes you'll hear this this subject um, put like this: Jesus never claimed to be God, which is also ridiculous. He does it in a Jewish way. He does it in his way. Yeah, and and yeah. I would I would say to that he he didn't have to. He mm. didn't literally have to come out and say, "I am God." Right. Um, the way that Jesus, and we'll find it in in the Synoptics, and of course in John. But the way that Jesus directed his hearers mm. back to Israel's scriptures, yep, yep. the way he did that, and even we'll find the way that the writers themselves, mm-hmm. and actually, you know, before we start Matthew, maybe we should just start in, in Luke 24, because that really sets this whole thing up okay. in a sense. Yeah. But we're not, I don't want to spend, you know, any time in there per se, but on the road to Emmaus, Yeah. Um, Remember uh, these is after these, the resurrection. After the resurrection in um, Luke twenty four, yep. um, they're they're walking along, and Jesus approaches them. He's unrecognizable, and really, I'm glossing through so much here. Um, but what it comes down to is they were hoping that he was the redeemer of Israel, mm. and so Jesus, after a, a certain amount of time walking with them, finally says. Um, to the disciples, um, one disciple in uh, Cleopas, uh, oh foolish ones, 
and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Yeah. And when we get to John as well, there's a verse in John uh, chapter 5, verse 46, where Jesus says, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Right. So it wasn't until after the resurrection that the gospel writers started really rereading Israel's scriptures and going, wow, oh. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and that's kind of how Matthew, there's an approach in Matthew that, that, that kind of takes that angle. Same with Mark, same with Luke. Yeah. Uh, so they, they read Israel's scriptures differently now yeah. after the resurrection. Right. And, and so they help us out too, not only Jesus and what he does, but mm. also in, in how the writers uh, present it. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. Well, let's, uh, that's a really good foundation. And so let's start with Matthew, and I'm sure you're going to be weaving in these, these Old Testament scriptures right? Yeah. That, the, mm-hmm. that Matthew quotes. So um, let's do that. Let's jump into Matthew, buddy. All right, Matthew, um, a theme that like, just hits the reader right off the bat mm. is this idea of Emmanuel. Mm. And it's the Hebrew word for God with us. Right. And in Matthew 1, 23, talking, this is the birth narrative mm. uh, of Jesus Christ. Uh, Matthew quotes Isaiah and says, 7, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So at the very beginning of Matthew, we have this presentation of Jesus as God with us. Mm. And that's only, that's one bookend. When we go to the end of Matthew, in, in Matthew 28, 20, we also have another bookend that relates to God with us. And this is the Great Commission. Mm. In the very last verse of Matthew, in Matthew 20, Jesus is telling them, you know, go, therefore make disciples of all nations. Uh, and, and then he says in verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to mm. the end of the age. Yeah. So those are bookends in the Gospel of Matthew, this idea of Emmanuel. And even smack dab in the middle of Matthew in, in chapter 18, in the section where uh, Jesus is instructing um, his disciples in the not yet revealed church in terms of um, church discipline. Um, he says in, in Matthew eighteen twenty, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So mm-hmm. we have this idea of, of Emmanuel, God with us. Yeah. Um, th- from, from the beginning of Matthew to the middle, all the way to the end. Mm. And that's a theme that runs throughout Matthew, and it's actually connected to Genesis 28, 15. Yeah. And what Matthew is, is, is basically saying is that Israel's God is now present with his people precisely in the person of Jesus. Yeah. And when we look at Genesis 28:15, it's the uh, account of um, Jacob. Jacob. And in 28:15, let's see, where am I in my Bible? <laughs> uh, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Um, 
God is reiterating the covenant to Jacob. And in verse 15, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, so on and so forth. But the Lord himself is saying the same thing that Matthew is saying about Jesus. Mm. So the Lord in, in, in Genesis to Jacob is, Behold, I am with you. Mm. Matthew says that the birth of Jesus, God is with us now. Mm. And it's a, it's a really strong indicator uh, that Matthew is, in fact, presenting uh, Jesus as divine, as yeah. the God of Israel. Right. And so when we look at the end of Matthew again in, in chapter 28, um, what Matthew is saying, what Jesus is saying, quoted by Matthew, is Jesus now stands in the same role occupied by the Lord God in Jacob's dream. Mm. So it's really, really strong indication yeah. so far in Matthew that uh, Jesus has this divine nature and that ultimately he will be seen as the God of Israel, the embodiment of the God of Israel. Yeah. And I guess that would tie into all the ways, all the times in Matthew that Jesus is worshipped. Yes. If he is God, then Absolutely. he is worthy of worship. If he's not, then he's not worthy of worship. And That's yet right. Jesus accepts worship. That's a great segue into yeah. into the next uh, uh, section because he is worshipped right um, by the Magi mm-hmm. in Matthew two two by a leper in Matthew eight two right by a synagogue ruler in Matthew nine eighteen by a Canaanite woman in Matthew fifteen twenty five by the mother of James and John in twenty twenty by the two Marys at the resurrection in Matthew 28, 9, and also in his post-resurrection Galilee appearance yeah. in Matthew 28, 17. Right. And so he accepted worship. And what really solidifies this, I think, is in Matthew 4, when Jesus was enduring the temptations in the wilderness. Um, this is the last temptation of... Satan towards Christ. Mm, of the three, yeah. Of the three. And in Matthew, starting in Matthew 4, verse 8, Matthew writes, Again, the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Mm. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written... You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Mm-hmm. So from that point on, Jesus is taking this command yeah. and setting it into motion through the, the entire narrative of, of, of Matthew. It basically, um, repeating this command, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Right. Yet we see on occasion after occasion that people are worshiping God. And if yeah. Jesus... Jesus could have just said, hey, whoa, 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 this, you've got it wrong. That's not what I'm saying about myself. Get up, worship God alone. He received it. Yeah. So he could have shut that down at any moment and said, this is, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying what you think I'm saying. Yeah. I'm not who you think I am. And, but instead, he lets it happen and he's worshiped. There's so many parallels between that passage in Matthew 4 and uh, Matthew 28 and the Great Commission you know, I'll give you 
he's like, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and I'm going to give it to you if you bow down and worship me. And in Matthew 28, all authority <laughs> yes. has been given to me. Yeah. And then he calls them to go serve him, right? To be his disciples and make disciples, teaching people to obey everything that he's taught. It's like a reversal. He's like, no, I didn't, I didn't have to do it the easy way, like Satan said. I did it the hard way by dying. But because yes, of that, right. God's raised me from the dead, and now I have that all authority to... He got it the right way. He got it the right way. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, man. That's awesome. Well, man, there, Matthew 11 is, is a passage that really... I, I love it. I love it. I see all these hints back to the Old Testament. Jesus is like, if, if you know the text, you can pl- play along. Right, you know who he's speaking about, uh, and so let me um, let me give you a couple. It's from Matthew eleven, uh, verse seven through fourteen. Just a little bit of the context: John the Baptist is in jail. Herod has imprisoned him, and John's like, "Man, if you're really the Christ, <laughs> come on, dude! Shouldn't you be setting the captives free? Yeah, <laughs> what am I doing here? Yeah, why aren't we ruling and reigning?" And so, you know, <laughs> Jesus is like, go, go tell the people what you see and hear. And he begins to drive out demons and heal diseases and all that stuff, right? And then as these men were going away, this is in verse 7, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. He goes, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. But what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Those who wear soft clothing are in king's places. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, one who's more than a prophet. This is the one to whom has been written, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Hinting at Isaiah 40 there. And then verse 11, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violent violence and violent men take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. He's basically saying, hey man, this is the final prophet before me. And mm-hmm. if you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. And that's a calling back to Malachi 4. It's basically like the last prophecy in the scripture. Right. A messianic prophecy. And so in Malachi 4 starting in verse 5, uh Malachi writes and this is the Lord talking. He says, "Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet." Before the great and terrible day of the Lord, he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of their children to their fathers, so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. And so Jesus says, Elijah is, sorry, John Mm -hmm. is the Elijah that Mm -hmm. was to come. And so that means the day of the Lord has come. And, uh, And this is a hearkening back to Malachi 3 as well, because in verse one, it says, behold, I'm going to send my messenger and he will prepare the way. He'll clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And so Elijah prepares the way for the Lord. The Lord himself appears. Elijah is the forerunner. And so by saying Jesus, by Jesus saying that John is that Elijah, he's also calling himself the Lord of hosts, which yes, we'll see. Right. We'll see John do that also in chapter 12. We'll get to that later. But uh, yeah, so when Jesus approaches, you got this great and terrible day of the Lord that begins with his coming. Right. It, it all starts being put into motion, which 
Phil, is a, a great segue into this next passage in Matthew. Yeah. And, and what we're kind of like backing up, widening our scope a little bit, what, what we're going to discover in the synoptics and especially in John is that Jesus is doing things and saying things that are only ascribed to the God of Israel. Right. And so we'll see that over and over mm. in, in these passages. Uh, but speaking of the great and terrible day of the, of the Lord, in Matthew 25, this is the Olivet Discourse. Mm. And talking about when the Son of Man comes in His glory. Yep. Um, this, this passage, Matthew 25, 31 through um, 46 is referred to as the sheep and goat judgment. Mm. And so Jesus, as he continues on this in this discourse, says, starting in verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And of course, Son of Man, Jesus refers to himself as, as Son of Man. Uh, so it's clear that when we talk about Son of Man, and we could do a whole thing on Son of Man, yeah, right? Daniel, Daniel 7, seven. Yeah, all the that. king is coming to reign. Yeah. yeah. But in the context of Matthew and, and the synoptics, we know that Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. So this is his coming he's talking about. Yeah. And in th- verse 32, Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left, then the king will say to those on his right, so on and so forth. Mm. So we, he's entering into this judgment yeah. uh, with all the nations, yeah. talking about all the nations will be gathered before him. Well, if we turn to Joel, uh, this is actually talked about centuries and centuries before mm. Jesus uh, delivers this discourse. Yeah. And in Joel 3, starting in verse 1, this is the Lord speaking. For behold, in those days, at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather, I, the Lord, will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there. Mm. And here's an interesting phrase, on behalf of my people Mm. and my heritage, Israel, Mm. because they have scattered them among the nations and have divided up my land and have cast lots for my people, and have traded a boy for a prostitute, and have sold a girl for wine, and have drunk. So this is this judgment yeah. that Jesus Christ is actually talking about. And in Joel, it's referring to the Lord who's bringing this judgment. Yeah. In Matthew, Jesus is saying, it's me yeah. that's going to, to be doing this. Yeah. So here's a, here's a great example of Jesus performing, soon to perform, something that only the God of Israel is uh, credited with. Yeah. And, um, and also in verse 12, you know, let the nations stir themselves up and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. When we go back to Matthew, he talks about then the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne. Mm. So these two passages are inexorably linked. Yeah. And in Joel, it's clearly the Lord speaking. Yeah. The God of Israel when Jesus refers to this in the sheep and goat judgment, he's saying it to me. Yeah. I'm the one who's going to, to deliver this judgment. Yeah. I mean, that's something that we can't listen to lightly. 
not only that Jesus is, is the king who's going to judge, but we're going to stand before him one day. All of us are. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus cries out to us in, in a passage that so many are familiar with from Matthew 11, like, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, mm. and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You know? Hmm. And what's absolutely just like what happened with Joel, if you see in your Bible, like sometimes on, on Bible apps, when the Old Testament is quoted, uh, it'll be in all caps. And uh, I want to encourage you listeners to go look up those references and see who's speaking there. Just like, you know, when Joel yes, decided, absolutely. see who's speaking there. Because I, I've heard that passage, this Matthew 11, 29 and 28, uh, 28 and 29 reference so many times, but I've never heard them make the correlation to where you see, you'll find rest for your souls. I've never heard that preached huh, in a message. Right. And that's from Jeremiah six sixteen. And who is speaking there? Who says that you will find rest for your souls. Right. Well, it's it's Yahweh. It's Yahweh. It's the Lord God. And so Jesus is saying there's something that only God can say. Only God mm-hmm. has the right to say he will give you rest for his souls. And yes. Jesus says, that's me. And, and this is exactly the way that Christ is presented so often in the synoptics. Right. As having the divine character. Yeah. And I always say, you, you don't have to say anything to say something. Yeah. Right? Right. Uh, a lot of times, just by what Jesus does, he yeah. points them back to the scriptures to, to go, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. This is something that, that our scriptures say only God could do or God would say. Yeah. Yeah, man. And so God is calling to everyone listening today. Uh, if you want to know what he is like, look at Jesus. Jesus doesn't just say that in John <laughs> talking to Philip, you know, and the disciples. If you've, seen me, you've seen the Father. He's saying that in Matthew, too. He's saying it in Mark and Luke and John. And so uh, I want to encourage you listeners, if, if, you're, um, if you're questioning whether or not you can trust God, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus and look at what he's done for you. You have a God that's willing to lay down his life for you and the power to take that life back up again and conform people to his image. And that's so much of what salvation is about. It's not just about going to heaven, but having God himself come into you and to change you into being like like him and have the same love as him, the same compassion as him, the same uh, hope as him, the same courage as him, same humility as him. And so, guys... If you don't know Jesus, come to know him. Come to know him. You can uh, write in uh, and ask us how to do that, how to give your life to Jesus, um, whatever. But make that. You can talk to him yourself. You don't need my help. Come to God. We who are weary and heavy laden, and he will give you rest for your souls. All right, we're going to be back next week with Dan Enright again, looking at how Jesus is unveiled as God in the Gospel of Mark. God bless y'all. He leadeth me, oh blessed thought, oh words with heavenly comfort fraught. Whate'er I do, where'er I be, still tis his hand that leadeth me. Thank you.
by his own and he leadeth me his faithful follower I would be for by his hand he leadeth me sometimes mid scenes of deepest gloom sometimes where eden's bowers bloom by waters still or troubled sea still tis his hand that leadeth me he leadeth me he leadeth me by his own and he leadeth me his faithful follower Follow up.